Episode 58, the Between Two Wheels podcast, cycling news, analysis, commentary, and interviews from Northern California. This is a 2018 Giro d'Italia preview show. Miguel Landa, Stephen Kralswick. 32 kilometers long. Oh, here we go. Here we go. What's happened here? Bike change? Real problems. And he's changing his jersey. Tom Dumoulin. Oh, no. No, no, no. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. Problems. And I wonder if this is one of the problems before. He needed a natural break. Obviously, our cameraman realized that. Panned away as quickly as possible. And at this stage in the race, Sean, he must be in dire need of that. Yes. Um, and surprising that um, when he was talking to the car, that's the question. Was he having the problem there? A stomach problem, which went on for you know a long time here. And we're getting very close to the climb now. Surprising. I reckon that yeah, he was trying to hold on, but uh, not possible and just had to uh, just take off his jersey and go. And what you just heard there was probably the highlight of the 2017 Giro, the dump heard around the world. Uh, welcome everybody, I'm Tyler Yonke. We're going to do a little solo preview of the uh, Giro d'Italia for the 2018. The World Tour has moved on from their one-day classics, and now they're venturing into the three-week uh, Grand Tours, the three of them, um, the first of them, which is the Tour of Italy. The Giro Tour of Italy was first run in 1909 when the newspaper della, La Gazzetta della Sport, they wanted to increase their sales, and so of course to do so, let's have a bike race. Uh, the newspaper at the time was pink, hence the pink leader's jersey. The Giro wasn't always the first Grand Tour of the year, though. Um, the Vuelta, the Tour of Spain, used to be held in April uh, before the Giro and the Tour. So, however, in the 1940s, uh, the Vuelta kind of ventured into some uh, times in June and then back into the spring. So there was always a conflict with the Giro. Uh, the Vuelta has since, since 1995 moved to September, which is more now of a lead up to the, to the World Championships. But they don't have this conflict with the Giro, the Tour, and the Vuelta. Uh, this year also marks the 30th anniversary of the one and only American, I didn't say North American, just American, uh, winner Andy Hampton in 1988. Uh, he won the race when he was on the 7-Eleven squad and his victory was solidified on the Snowy Gavia Pass, where he finished second that day to Eric Broikink. Uh, I remember uh, when I was at the University of Colorado, Ron Kiefel came and talked to our team. He was Andy's teammate at the time and he spoke to us about the race and he emphasized just how cold and miserable it was for everyone. He indicated how Bob Roll was a little crazy on the bike, maybe suffering from hypothermia. Ron also said he couldn't actually depress his brake levers at the time. He kind of had to club them on the descent, either try to club it or just uh, freewheel and let it hang. Anyway, I hope you like our show. Please give us a rating and comment on uh, any of the podcast services you use. Check us out on the Between Two Wheels podcast YouTube channel as well. And you can also interact with us on Facebook, facebook.com slash between two wheels, Instagram and Twitter at B2W underscore podcast as well. And look for our tour of California content coming up in a few weeks when you get to go inside the ropes uh, with the media at the America's biggest race. All right, let's get right to the Giro d'Italia preview. The Giro this year is May 4th through the 21st. We have a total of 3,563 kilometers, 21 stages. It starts in Israel, transferring then to Italy via Sicily before crossing up to the mainland and the tip of the boot of the south of Italy. Once on the mainland, the route then steadily heads north from the west side of the country up and then before it starts to head over to the east side, hitting the Dolomites and the Alps. 
They then cross uh, across the top of Italy until they take the final day transfer by plane back to the middle of the country to Rome. Let's look at what we have here. We have time trials. Um, time tr the first opening stage itself is, is typically a prologue time trial, but this one's a little too long to be called the prologue, so they call it stage one, actually. It's 10 kilometers. It's rolling. It's a lot of technical uh, changes of direction with like 18 to 20 turns. Uh, so it will be someone who is a time trialer who's willing to take the effort and put the pedal down with some with some risk on those things too. Stage 16 is a TT at 34.5 kilometers. It's pretty flat, but it is a decent amount of distance at 34.5 kilometers. It's not your good old time trials you used to see back in the tour days when you had 50K, uh, but um, nevertheless, it's pretty, pretty good. Um, so once again, you just have those two, and there is a ton of climbing. So I don't know if the time trials are going to be decisive. Um, otherwise, just more like consolidating the lead. Uh, you have three rest days. The first one coming between stages three and four. That's when they move out of uh, Israel. Uh, the second one between stages nine and ten. And the third rest day uh, between stages 15 and 16. Some interesting short stage stats. Uh, the shortest stage is stage 21, the final one. But we don't really care about that. It's just more of a promenade. Um, otherwise, there's 13 stages under 200 kilometers, not including the time trial. Four stages in the 150 kilometer range, which is just under 100 miles, and but none are really true mountain days. Stage six is 163 kilometers, just over 100 miles, with a mountaintop finish to Etna. Uh, possible pure sprint stages, we have about eight of those. Stages two, three, both of those are in Israel. Seven, 10, 12, 13, 17, and 21 as well. The lump, lumpy breakaway Sagan, what I call Sagan Matthews type sprint finishes, you're looking at about five of those, stages four, five, 10, 11, and 17. Climbing mountain stages, about eight of those, um, six, eight, nine, stage 14, 15, 18, 19, and 20. So right at the end of this first week, middle week, and third week are obviously really packed in with those, which you see uh, three right big doozies in a row, 18, 19, and 20. Uh, before the last final day, 21st day, which won't uh, be much. And hey, we've got gravel too. Uh, you know, you think of gravel grinders and the big events that those are having now, but did you know the Giro was the one of the original gravel grinder races? You've got um, up the Finestrier, which has about seven and a half kilometers on gravel. They've done that one three times, uh, but we've had stages um, in the past on gravel as well at the, the Giro. Let's talk about some of the notable stages, pretty much climbing stages. First one started in stage six. Uh, climb up to Etna, and we'll get it. We'll break that down a little bit when we go through each stage. Uh, stage nine, uh, Pasco Sanita to Gran Sasso Italia, two hundred and twenty-four kilometers, and the final fifty k is basically all uphill. Stage fourteen, San Vito al Taglimento to Mont Zoncalon. So the Mont Zoncalon is one hundred eighty-one kilometers. That 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 climb itself is uh, a little crazy. Uh, you don't have some of the you don't have this, the, the Gavia, the Stelvio, um, the Monterolo. So there's some of these famous climbs that are not going to be included this year. Uh, but this is one that's kind of having some notoriety and partly due to the fact of how steep it is. Uh, of kicks of over 22%. Stage 19. Stage 19, Venaria Real to Bardenecchia, 181 kilometers. Um, then stage 20, Susa to Servenia, that's 214 kilometers. All right, let's get right into the uh, preview of the stages. Stage one, two, three, uh, those are in Israel. Um, so 
they're taking a new adventure to of the Giro, going across the Mediterranean, include the state of Israel. First time they've been out of the continental uh, Europe. Um, security, you know, might be a concern. Uh, we'll see how that, you know, if there's any incidences that actually take place, I'm sure it'll put to rest actually taking the trip across the continental, you know, out of continental Europe for a while. And, you know, I, I think it's kind of cool to see and to go into to, to do new areas like this. But I'm not a big fan on, on how the transfers are probably laborious for the riders, the staff, um, you know, the event people, and uh, obviously even the media covering the race. So this is, I'd say, keep it in Italy from here on. Um, but I really didn't have much of a voice in either. Uh, all three races in Israel are mostly flat. Uh, a few more lumps thrown in for stage two than the others. Uh, it's, it's early and it should be get a chance to see how the showcase gets to showcase actually the breakaway or the sprints. That will obviously depend on who wins the prologue, the time, the first stage time trial. If you have Dumoulin or uh, BMC's uh, Ron Dennis, it could you know change things of how they want to do or how close a sprinter is actually to those guys. Then that will determine uh, you know if those teams want to take it on. I mean. If there's no one in there and the chase, the sprinters aren't going to be close, they're going to be uh, not willing to do that. And so it'll be interesting to see who controls the race after the first time trial. Uh, stage one, we have Rohan Dennis is at 94%. This is off of some uh, European betting site. Tom Dumoulin, 94% as well. And Chris Froome at 58%. Uh, Jos Van Emden at 55 And Victor Kapenarts at 42%. So those are your odds for the stage one winner. I would say probably Ron Dennis. I don't know if it, I mentioned all the turns in there. Uh, Dumoulin might not take the risks that Rohan Dennis is probably more likely to take due to, you know, his 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 uh, unlikely ability to win the tour. The Rohan Dennis that is. Then we have a rest day after we go through Israel. Then we hit stages four and five. Uh, stage four is a little bit lumpy. It's got a kicker towards the finish, which will probably, it may dispatch some of the sprinters, although we'll go through the sprinters here and there's not a big contingent of sprinters in this race. Um, it's probably a good day for a breakaway. Uh, it'd be hard to control. And, the, and if any of the sprinters get jettisoned off the back, you know, those teams are not going to be willing to come to the front. So you may see someone more along the lines of uh, a second tier GC guy that's a little punchy that may be wanting to kind of take things over early. Stage five has a little more elevation than stage four, but uh, it's a little bit more in a consistent fashion. So with respect to the sprinters, they may be able to get over that uh, possibly a little bit better. Uh, stage six then is the first doozy. It's Etna. Climbing starts uh, Climbing starts at 132 kilometers, but only gradually in the first 15K and then ends 30 kilometers later at the 163 kilometer point. So this is a shorter stage, uh, but it's it comes in with just a big kick at the end as far as from the day to actually how the, the climb is. Elevation-wise, it starts around the 64-meter point and ends at 1736, so it's not high, high elevation, but it's obviously a pretty good climb. Uh, the ramp's of 14% in the final six kilometers, so the real beast of that kilometer of the climbing starts at the 15K to go. Stage seven and eight. Um, so at stage seven, at only 159 kilometers, it's a relatively short stage compared to the others and it's almost pan flat in its profile. The only variant that it allows is that it goes up on the western coast, going north the whole way. So you could see it affected by some crosswinds the entire day. I mean, it may be a calm day. It could be affected. Maybe it's a tailwind, but um, likely you're going to have wind coming off of the coast. So expect that to be a sprinter's day, unless the GC rider, you see this every once in a while on the tour, where one of the GCs or some of these other riders um, kind of get in the mix and, and they, they pull something in a crosswind and try to smash the race apart. Stage eight, 208 kilometers with a summit finish. 
to somewhat finish up the Monte Gavrin uh, del Mercolino at 1260 uh, meters. The climb itself, it kind of stair steps, it starts about 162 kilometers in point and it finished at the 190. So the last 30K are stair stepping. Um, starting elevation on that climb is around 402 meters and it gains just 800 plus 50, 850 meters in total over the last 17K. So it's not a brutal climb, especially, but the problem is it has some stair stepping. So it'll go up, kind of pause down, go back up. So that 850, while that's total elevation from bottom to top, you're looking probably closer to 12 to 1500 uh, meters of climbing. Stage nine, Pesco Sanita to Gran Sasso Italia, 224 kilometers. This is a big one on the day. Uh, the final 50K is virtually all uphill. The death climbing starts in earnest at about 177. So you still got another 50K. That's, that's where it really starts to hit. And the elevation at that point is only 382 meters. The climb hits the summit at the 190 kilometer point with 1,190 meters in elevation and then kicks up again with a few respites until it finishes at 224 at a grand total of 2,135 meters high on the Gran Sasso Italia. Stage nine comes right before the first, uh, the second rest day. So it will be a pretty brutal test um, uh, leading up, ending that first week and a half. And you will probably see some major fireworks and, you know, we can always say this, but uh, it may not be won that day, but there's there's so many races across the board here, stages that it can be lost. Rest day number two, then you have stages 10 through 15. Uh, stage 10 starts with three categorized climb, but uh, the, not a summit finish. So there's two early ones, and then the third is 20 kilometers to the finish, and it's it's not a daunting one either. Uh, stage 11, again, three categorized climbs, the first summiting right out of the box at 38 uh, kilometers from the start another climb at another you know, 90 some kilometer point, and then a kicker at the very finish. I would call this one of your Michael Matthews um, Sagan type sprint finishes, but neither one of those guys are in the race. So we'll see who kind of takes the mantle for that in this year's Giro. Stage 12, uh, pan flat all day until the 200 uh, kilometer point where they hit about a 4K kilometer rise before heading down to the finish to, in uh, Imola. Um, I would see a sprinter or a pretty opportunistic attack holding off the rest of the field over the last K, 10K. You could see someone like uh, Mahorik, who we've talked about before, and uh, Bahrain Merida. He goes downhill very fast, has no qualms about taking corners at uh, very hot. So I would say that could be uh, one that he would be uh, looking for if he crests the, this final summit uh, with a whole group. Stage 13, 180 kilometers pretty benign appearing stage. It's about as flat as you can be until the last 30K, but it never really ventures over 242 meters in elevation, so it shouldn't be decisive for anyone really paying attention. However, stage uh, 14, the next day is the Mont uh, Zoncalon coming up, so you never know what riders are gonna do the day before a big stage like that, and so you might be able to have a chance of either a break getting away or a small one near the finish. All right, so stage 14. The Mont Zancalon, 181 kilometers. This one, however, has five categorized climbs in the day. The finishing fifth climb up the Mont Zancalon will be absolutely daunting. The famed finished climb starts at the 171 kilometer point in the race, right about 10K to go, with an elevation of 530 meters and ending 1730 uh, meters with just 10K later. Um, the gradient, however, averages almost 12% and has a max of around 22. So you can imagine going 12% for 10K with 22 kilometer, uh, 22% ramps in there. 
that's going to be a killer. It might be almost so steep, though, that you're not going to get great separation. I think of the Angularu. All right, stage 15, Telemezo to Zapata. Uh, 176 kilometers riders take the stage on the day you know as I said right after the Montzacalon and before the final rest day so there's four categorized climbs but before the shorter finishing climb at the end so it's not one that would be in the GC guys probably in their back pocket um, actually this might be a killer finish but for the stage 14 right before so you see you might see some riders getting shredded out the back uh, simply for the fact that I'm sorry, it wouldn't be a killer stage, but for the fact that they what they just did the day before. So you may see some riders taking some chances here because of the rest day coming up. But then there's a time trial the day after the rest day. So um, I would probably end up seeing a breakaway around this one as well. All right. Rest day three. And then you have the stages 16 through 21, which are just uh, killer. So stage 16, you start with a 34 and a half kilometer time trial first and last real test for the TT specialists in the uh, 2018 race. Um, it'll be a pure type of TT too, because the profile they're offering not much in the way of any obstacles, but for a small um, uphill at the 24 and a half kilometer point. So the last 10K though, it actually the last 4K, it has like a slight gradual uphill. So that'll be testing the legs pretty strongly if they haven't gauged their efforts right. Stage 17, that's uh, a short 155 kilometer, two small climbs midway through, and then flat to rolling profile into the ICO. Breakaway will probably attempt to stay, uh, stay, start and stay away. However, stage 18, coming up next, has a summit finish, and then you have those three consecutive days of climbing. So the GC riders will probably be holding back a little bit, making sure they recover fully from the TT the day before. Depending on who is left for sprinting, that's probably what you're going to have for that. Stage 18, 19, and 23 back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back days of nasty climbing. Uh, Abia Tegrasso to Prato Novoso, 196 kilometers with a summit finish at 1,607 meters high. Uh, likely setting up for the next few days of brutal climbs. I mean, this one isn't horrible, but it's going to set it up for the others. And not really intended to be a decisive day itself, I would say. But coming in the third week of the Giro, you could see that rider who has been surprisingly near the front drop away at the length of the third week as this uh, Giro starts to catch up to him. The final climb slowly builds from about 150 kilometer point at 232 meters in elevation, but doesn't start in earnest until around 176 kilometer point at 510 meters, giving an almost 20 kilometer grind to Prato Nevoso, the finish. Stage 19, Venaria Real to Bardenecchia, 181 kilometers. This one, this is probably the one of the queen ones for the race. Uh, four categorized climb with a slow, stogging start to the day up to the first 48.3-kilometer uh, point before they crest uh, at 1,311 meters at the Col de Lis. The following the opening climb is a fast descent, flat to slight uphill until about the 91-kilometer point with a climb up the Chimacapi, which is the highest point of the Giro, up to the Col de la Fenestri at 2,178 meters. The last 7.5 kilometers of this climb, though, is on gravel. Previous editions, we've seen this happen. Uh, Jose Riano won it in 2005. Vasily Karenka in 2011. Mikel Landa, the, the most recent one, in 2015. Uh, El Falco, Salvadori, actually, um, in 2005, went on to hold on to his lead after descending, coming off the Finestria, getting dropped, and then being able to hold up to Siestriere. But that's been the key before. These races typically have finished at Siestriere, um, and this time it goes over the Siestriere, uh, which is at the 137-kilometer point, 2,025 meters. That's where it's previously finished. 
But then this year it has another finishing kick um, just under the 10 kilometers to go up the Bardonecchia from 181 kilometers at 1,908 meters high. Stage 20, Susa to Servinia, 214 kilometer race. This is the last day to really make any move on GC with three categorized climbs and another summit finish 2,001 meters high at Servinia. Three categorized climbs come in concession, uh, succession starting at 130 kilometers, 169.8 kilometers, and 195 kilometer points. So you have approximately 30 kilometers in between those each, but you're given 14 kilometers, 14 kilometers, and 20 kilometer climbs respectively. This is, you know, not much respite and a lot of a lot of climbing. This stage could easily see the GC leader, whomever it is, having all his work undone by the demanding last day of climbing work and the attrition factor coming in uh, for the last day. Stage 21, just a parade around Rome, ending with a sprint. Depends on which sprinters made it to the last day, and we will discuss those coming up here in a second. All right, so who are our Giro contenders? We're going to go off of just kind of a list of ones I've had down here. And to me, there's about 12 of them. And these are people that I would say can all possibly hit the podium. I'm not necessarily going to say can win. They can hit the podium. And you're also looking at people who are uh, all likely going to be in the top 10. Now, there's always a chance that there's going to be that person that we haven't mentioned that comes out of the woodwork and makes a, a ride of their life. Uh, so you never know who that's going to be. And then, you know, any of these guys can obviously drop away at a hat as well. Um, you know, I will say, I'm going to mention each rider, kind of some things that I think about them, give what I think is their team support and give kind of their rating on their team. Start with number one, Tom Dumoulin. He's got number one on his back. No, uh, number two, number two jokes. No, number one on his back. Team Sunweb from the Netherlands, defending champ. He's not done much leading up to the tour. He had some issues in the desert. Um, looked okay on Liège, Baston Liège. He claims to have had his stomach issues resolved that, from, that plagued him last year or actually made him famous. Um, as far as the team goes, he's got Sam Uman. Uh, he had a good Liège, Baston Liège result. I had mentioned in our Liège coverage that it was Michael Matthews, but it was actually Sam Uman, uh, Lawrence Tendam, uh, Chad Haga, American, and Chris Hamilton. I'd give him at least a B-plus for this team. <clears throat> Chad Haga has been uh, shown to be pretty strong. Lawrence Tendam is, is a beast. And should get in. Then Sam and Chris Hamilton, both uh, pretty good support riders. So it looks like Tom might have brought a little bit better support. Tom might have brought just a little bit better support in this year than he has had in previous uh, editions. Miguel Angel Lopez Moreno from Colombia, Team Astana. We also call him Superman. Uh, he's looked really brilliant in the 2017 Vuelta, and he's had some good results in 2018 already. Uh, so I, I look to see him as kind of your top tier. Um, Surprise guy, and I wouldn't say surprise, but top tier kind of um, hopeful. I mean, he's 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 one that could very very um, flashy rider. I think he, he likes to take breaks out from uh, quite a distance uh, on the final climbs. So he'll go from five k. He, he seems the um, uninterrupted by someone's uh, fame, such as like Froome or these other guys. He was taken right out of him in the Vuelta. Uh, team sport-wise, he's got Luis, Leon Sanchez, uh, Pelo Babal, Jan Hurt, and Lutsenka. Give that about a B, though, on the rating. Uh, an Italian, Domenico Pozzovivo, Team Bahrain Merida. He's looked really good, actually, on the early season stages. Um, he's done really quality Grand Tours in the past. He does have a weird little way he pedals that kicks his knees out. It looks like a weekend rider, but uh, it's obviously effective for the little guy. Team sport-wise, he's got Nibali. Oh, Antonio Nibali. So that's uh, Vincenzo's brother. 
and then Visconti and uh, Bonifazio as well. I'd give that at least a B minus coming in fourth. Uh, now, by the, by the way, the number on these are not who I predict in the top. These are just top 12 guys that I think can have a, a, a shot at the, at the overall. Rowan Dennis, Australia, Team BMC. He's had several chances to be a team leader, and he's failed before. He's never really had a good Grand Tour result. Uh, team support-wise, he has Nicholas Roach and DeMarchi. Uh, DeMarchi, um, as far as Roach goes, he's kind of t- been tagged as a co-leader, so it'll be interesting to see actually what the uh, what the team does with that. I mean, he's, he's shown he can ride top 10s. I don't think this team here can do much more than hope for a top 10. Um, I, Dennis would have to ride out of his life and show us some things that he's not been able to do before. Davidad Formolo from Italy, Team Bora Hansgrohe. Um, he can definitely hang on wheels. His team support, I'd give them about a D. Uh, so the fact that he can hang wheels and kind of be there on his own without much support, which, you know, a guy that's hoping to look just to reach into the top 10, I think that's, uh, that's perfectly fine for him. Thibaut Pinot, France, Team Groupama FDJ. He's had some really good past uh, Grand Tour results, and he's been really good on early season form, uh, winning Tour of the Alps this year already. His team support, Steve Marabito, Sebastian Reichenbach, Gerg Preidler. Uh, Reichenbach is really a rider that you can see uh, with with some potential. Uh, Marabito, he's a guy with, with a good experience as well, so I'd give them at least a B-plus based on those three riders themselves. Next up, we have uh, Esteban Chavez from Colombia. Uh, but I'm going to give him dual role with Simon Yates from Australia for Team Mitchelton Scott. They both have good Grand Tour results in the past. Um, early season form-wise, Yates has been much better looking than Chavez. I don't know what's up with Chavez. Um, he had a bad bad year last year. He had some personal problems. He had some injury problems. Yates, though, has been looking pretty good. Although, I don't, Yates has never done the Giro. Um, he's done the, the Tour and the Vuelta, so it'll be interesting to see how he comes in here because I think some of that experience just from racing those countries has helped everyone along, and he doesn't have that this time. But I think he's got a lot of confidence in himself. Team support-wise, from bottom to top, they look spectacular. I'd give them at least an A-, minus, um, probably because they maybe they're an A, but maybe they're a B plus. But uh, A- minus is what we'll give them. Louis Menches um, from uh, South, Aust- South Africa, Team Dimension Data. Uh, he's also had some good top 10s uh, past Grand Tour results. But not much more than that. Team support-wise, he's got Berhani, Igor Anton, Ben King, Ben O'Connor. I think Ben O'Connor is one uh, up-and-comer. He's already got a good result this year. Uh, ben King is, a, is an American rider who can who can support well. I don't know that he'll be up there on the, the final portions of the climb. So I'd give that team about a C+. Plus. But uh, Louis Minches is kind of one of those that's similar to uh, Formula, where I think he just needs to kind of follow wheels. Uh, Mike Woods, Canada, Canadian, uh, EF Education First, presented by Draypack. Uh, he obviously really well in the Liège-Bastogne-Liège this year, the 2017 Volta. He's obviously shown he's a great ki- uh, climber. He's a minimal time trialist. I don't know that he's ever really worked on that, so we'll see, kind of see what he has to go on there. And um, to see what he, and, but the time trials aren't daunting for this year's Volta. I'm in Giro anyway. Team support wise, um, Nathan Brown, uh, Canty, uh, Hugh Carthy. Dombrowski, those are all really, really good climbers who uh, should be able to help support him quite well, uh, especially with the, the experience that Dombrowski's kind of been bringing to the Giro lately. Um, give them at least a B plus. George Bennett and Robert Hessink, Lotto and El Jumbo. I think the, the lead for that one is going to be Bennett. 
um, he's, you know, he's always the guy too, that looks like he needs to get a proper bike fit. Like he stole his little brother's bike. So take a look at him when you see him. It just, it looks a little awkward, but obviously he does well. Um, Hasink, I think is probably going to be his support guy. So that gives some help there. Um, other than that, George Bennett was looking well in the Tour de France last year before he had to pull out. So team support wise, well, if Hessing's the guy to help, then that helps. Um, otherwise you have Bowman, I'd give them about a C minus. Chris Froome, uh, Great Britain, Team Sky. Look, if he wants it, it's probably his for the taking. And, um, you know, the president, Lapente, has come out and said, I, I, I guarantee or I assure you that um, results from the, the salbutamol thing, that any results you have pending after the fact will be upheld, which I think is the actual way that the ruling has is, is read. It's not because it's not a positive. It's, it's a little bit different than that. So... Um, He's coming in riding and likely going to be able to keep the results that he has for whatever he gets in this year's uh, Giro. Um, if he wasn't, maybe you'd think, well, but he might not be riding the Tour de France. That's that's part of the thing, too. So I think he'll be coming in uh, barnstorming and trying to do well. Team sport-wise, he's got De La Cruz, Hanau, Walt Poles. Those are both three quality climbers that I think will really help him. But it's not the team he usually brings to these Grand Tours. So how about a B minus? I mean, sorry, a B plus for them as well. Fabio Aru, Italy, uh, Team UAE Emirates, Pasture winner, appears close to being on form. I don't think he's quite there yet. Uh, so we're going to have to be an Italian. He'll be on TV a lot. We're going to have to look at his pain face, one of the worst pain faces that we've seen in cycling. So we've got that going. Uh, a little disappointing to see there. Um, team sport-wise, you got Ulisi, who's always up there, uh, Polonk, and um, Adapuma. So give them about a B- minus on the support. Okay, next up we have sprinters. <clears throat> so this year's tour, way too climbing intensive. So probably best to just, excuse me, probably just best to um, not bring your, your best sprinter to this race and see what happens. Uh, Elia Viviani is the, the be-all, end-all for the sprinters that are in this race with Quick Step Team. He's definitely got the advantage. Uh, other than that, your second tier, you're looking at Sam Bennett, Sacha Modolito, uh, Danny Van Poppel, and Giacomo Nizzolo. I heard that he has got a knee injury, so he will not be coming. He was on the start line, though. Um, you have some of these others from some of these other, uh, you never know, the, the Andriana team, uh, Francesco Gavazzi, um, Manuel Belletti, uh, Israel Cycling Academy has Guillaume Bavon. He's Canadian, actually, so um, interesting to see that. Um, so what you'll probably end up seeing here with some of these guys is uh, trying to get the best of Viviani. See if the teams can dump him on some of these little pitchy, pitchy rides uh, where this, the sprint is inevitable. And if they do get rid of him, then to see what their teams will do, be able to do to, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, be able to do to get their team uh, sprinter down to the finish. Okay, so we have another thing here, riders by nation. Um, most of the riders, as you might expect, um, are from Italy. You have 45 from Italy. The next biggest contingent is from France. You have 14, Belgium at 13, Netherlands at 13, Spain at 12, and then everyone else is in single digits with uh, United States at four and a bunch of countries coming in with one. Portugal, Albania, Albania, Argentina, Eritrea, Estonia, Latvia, etc. All right, things that make you go, hmm. All right, we got riders by age is pretty interesting here. You have Sven Tufts of Team Mitchelton Scott at 40 years old and 360 days. So it appears he's going to be turning 41 during the actual Giro. The next one you have four riders all 38 years of age. 
Roy Clervers from Team Sumweb, Lars Back, Lotto, uh, Markel Irizar, Trek, and Ruben Plaza of Israel Cycling Academy. And then a bunch of more at 37, 36. I mean, it looks like half of the field is over 30. Um, coming way down the list here, you're going to have the youngest rider is Mads Pedersen, who we just saw at the uh, Paris-Roubaix for Trek Sigafetto. Ben O'Connor, Dimension Data at 22 as well. You have about five or six riders all at the 22 years of age. Two of them, uh, Team Sunweb Sam Oman and Team Sunweb Chris Hamilton. So how are you going to be able to watch this race? Well, um, I don't believe that it's on any kind of TV platforms that we're going to be able to have here in the United States. So likely you're going to have to go over to steephill.tv and check them out to see what kind of uh, pirated feeds you're going to be able to get. There's a few that they show there, the tiz-cycling. Um, look that one up because I'm not sure the exact. Uh, anyway, it's, it's usually linked off of at uh, steephill.tv and he'll post up uh, his links and I don't think they're too bad as far as pop-ups go. But that's what you have. All right, so check back in with us. We're going to be doing some updates uh, the Giro as it proceeds along. We're also going to be doing uh, Tour, Tour California media coverage. So we'll try to be throwing some uh, updates in there as well. Hope you enjoy this and best of luck to all the riders in the race.